Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you would, get your Bibles out, open them up to the book of Genesis, Genesis the 13th chapter. I'm going to invite you to be reading with me in Genesis the 13th chapter, and I do especially would like to ask our young people, if you're old enough to read and you can understand the things that the Bible is saying, get your Bible open up to the book of Genesis and in the 13th chapter, let's read together, let's study together. I'm going to say some things that I hope will be of special benefit to young people this morning, to all of us, but let's all be looking together in the Scriptures. As you're turning to Genesis chapter 13, I will say how great it is to see everybody this good Lord's Day morning. We do have guests with us in attendance and we're very appreciative of your presence and we hope that you are uh, being encouraged and built up by the things that we are involved in. And that will especially be the case right now as we open up and look at God's Word. We want to be stirred up and encouraged and admonished in a good way this morning. Let's do that in Genesis 13. I'm going to rip off about 13 verses here, so track along with me. In Genesis 13, this is verse number 1. Genesis 13. 13 verse 1, So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And at that time the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right, then I will go to the left. And so Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land in Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Lot chose... Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the land of, excuse me, settled among the cities of the valley, and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were great sinners against the Lord. This is for Lot a crossroads moment, quite literally. Lot is being given here the opportunity to make a life-changing decision. Now, we don't know everything about Lot, but one of the things that we know is we know that he is younger than his uncle Abraham. Abraham would have been 75 years at this point. Now, exactly how young that made Lot, we don't know, but it is clear from this text that Lot really would have benefited from allowing his older, wiser, more mature uncle, a man who is described as a friend of God, it would have been to Lot's advantage to let Abraham make this decision for him. Because the choice that Lot makes here in Genesis chapter 13, it will end up haunting him every single day for the rest of his life. Because what we're going to see in this text this morning is an utterly disastrous decision. In fact, I'm really not sure that there's a whole lot worse decisions recorded for us in all of the Word of God. 
Now, I'm drawing our attention this morning to the fact that Lot was younger and as well to the fact that Lot is being called upon to make some decisions because here we are at the end of May. And it is an important time for young people. School is out, or at least nearly out. Commencement exercises are happening. Which means that some of our young people are actually making some decisions right now about the career path that they are about to start. Or maybe they are making some important decisions about the school that they will attend that will put their foot on the path to that career path that they want to start. It also means as well that right around this time some of our young people are thinking about picking up a part-time job for the summer. But it also means that some of our young people are thinking about whether or not they're even going to get up before noon this summer. And of course, all of our young people are thinking about what they're going to do for these next few months. What kind of extracurricular activities can I get involved in? Where can I go? Who can I hang around? How can I make the most of and enjoy these summer months? In all of those ways and in that sense, this is very much a time of decision. As young people are standing on the verge of summer break, and as well as some of our young people are standing on the verge of a brand new chapter in their life, This is a time of choosing. Which is why, young people, I'm asking you to consider very carefully this dumpster fire of a decision that Lot makes in Genesis chapter 13. Because what we're going to see this morning is that as a result of this decision, Lot is going to lose all of his worldly possessions. Lot is going to lose much of his physical family. Lot is nearly going to lose his own life. And what little bit of family remains from this is going to be involved in sin and degradation of the very worst kind. And so, since our young people are in a lot of ways standing where Lot stood, they're standing at the fork in the road, they're at the crossroads, what a marvelous time for us to spend just a few minutes with Lot today so that all of us, young and old, can be equipped to make better decisions, and better choices than Lot made. And that all begins by looking at verses 10, 11, and 12 again. Because that really is where this process of bad decision making is really found. Look in verse 10 again. Verse 10 tells us that Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw. He saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of of Egypt. For Lot, this all begins with what he saw. It's been said that the eyes are the window to the soul. And so if you look into Lot's eyes, what exactly are you seeing? Well, I think you're seeing greed. I think you're seeing some materialism. I think you're seeing dollar signs. You're seeing a desire for more and more and more. The text has already told us back in verse 6 that both Lot and Abram, they had more than enough already. And yet Lot wants even more than that. At a time when Lot should have been deferring to his older, more mature uncle, he instead allows his eyes to fixate on the things that he wants and what it is that he sees, what he allows to enter into his eyes. They end up clouding his judgment and clouding his decision-making. 
Can you actually hold your place here in Genesis for a moment? I need to get 1 John chapter 2 in here. In 1 John chapter 2, this verse is so important to understanding what's going on here. In 1 John chapter 2, I'm reading in verse 16. There John says this, 1 John 2 verse 16, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride in possessions, this is not from the Father, but is from the world. That middle expression there that the ESV calls the desire of the eyes, one translation renders that the craving for everything we see. And that's it, isn't it? And that is the downfall of many people. Seeing. That's what led to Eve going and getting that fruit. Seeing is what led to King David going and receiving Bathsheba. It is seeing. We sing that song to our little kids. Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. Somebody needed to be singing that song to Lot. And I'm afraid somebody needs to be singing that song to us as well. I actually entertain the thought of asking Cody to lead that as the closing song. Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. Young people, I need to ask you right now. What are you looking at? What are you seeing? For example, with the summer temperatures rising, it's kind of gotten hot this past week. That clues us into the fact that we are entering into a season where many people are going to start shedding their clothes. And that means there's going to be a lot of immodesty, more so than there would be maybe during those winter months. People will be exposing their bodies, drawing attention to their bodies. Let me ask you, are you being careful with what your little eyes are seeing? Or are you putting yourself in a place and putting yourself in positions where you will be easily enticed by what you see? Maybe as we think beyond just our physical eyes, thinking is that idea of the eyes or the windows to the soul, thinking about seeing with our mind's eye, maybe we think, for example, as well about our career decisions. What are you looking at? What are you looking for in that respect? What is it that's influencing those decisions? I remember being in a gospel meeting a few years ago, and there was this little boy that was, I don't know, maybe five years old or so, I would guess. He was standing in the foyer, and everybody's just kind of making over him. He's there just putting on a big old show, and he's, he's talking, and everybody's just listening. He's so well-spoken for a five-year-old. And he started talking about how one day he wanted to play in the NFL. He was determined he was going to be an NFL player when he grew up. And his mama finally interjected, and she spoke up, and she said, Now, now, you know that in the NFL, most of those football games are played on Sunday. And Sunday is the Lord's Day. That's when we go to church. And that little boy, just as sharp as a tack, he said, Well, I'll ask my coach that I could be off on Sundays. Well, you know, that's pretty sharp for that little boy. and That's pretty good when you're five. But you and I know that that's not how things work in the real world, is it? You play in the NFL and you tell your coach, I don't want to play on Sundays... You're not going to have much of a career playing football, are you? And so I'm asking this morning, young people, what are you looking at? Are you looking at a career choice that's going to cause you to have to compromise your faith? That might stand in the way of you being faithful to the Lord Jesus? Why would we be interested in such a career as that? Why would we be gazing longingly at a career that's all about money and all about wealth and all about building up our personal portfolio even when that career path would take us away from the Lord? Why would we even be looking at that? If you turn back to Genesis the 13th chapter, I think what you see there is you'll see that there should have been some real serious red flags waving and getting lots of attention. 
Why, for example, is Lot not seeing the red flag of Sodom and Gomorrah? There is that ominous little parenthetical note given there at the end of verse 10 that this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And then there's even this little editorial note in verse 13 that's kind of separate from the rest of the narrative when it says, Now the men of Sodom were wicked. Great sinners against the Lord. That expression, great sinners against the Lord, that is an unusual term in the Old Testament. But it is a term that emphasizes the extreme seriousness of Sodom's sin. Let me ask you, you think Lot didn't know about that? You think Lot had never heard of Sodom before? Everybody knew about Sodom. Everybody knew how wicked and awful that place was. The wickedness that permeated that place. And yet, Lot valued earthly things even more. For Lot, it was all about what can I do to get ahead. And since Lot, of course, was a farmer, he was a rancher, well, for him, this choice was a no-brainer. I need to go to the place that's got the best grasslands. I need to go to places where I can build up my, my farm and my empire. I can build up my net worth. I need to go where I can get ahead. Young people, let's be honest. Sometimes we value the things of this world. We want to do well in life, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. And we want to get ahead, and there's maybe not even anything wrong with that in and of itself. But we want to get not just a little bit ahead, we want to get way ahead. Which is why, for example, young people will sometimes choose to attend a college or a university where there's not a good church for them to worship during those years while they are away from home and in that school. It's why as well, sometimes young people, we want to get ahead in the eyes of our peers and our friends. And so we will date a girl simply based on how good looking she is. Or we will date a guy based on how nice of a car he drives. Maybe not even thinking about it, not even giving any thought whatsoever to the fact that that guy or that girl is morally and spiritually bankrupt and couldn't care the first thing about God. It's why, for example, we choose our friends sometimes based on how much fun we can have with those people even though that fun might be really, really edgy and in fact, it might lead us into sin. That, that is the way of Lot. That is the path that Lot carved out centuries ago. Making choices on the basis of this temporal world and valuing its things even above the things of God. In fact, stop and think about what a contrast this is to Abraham. You know, have you ever thought about the fact, why didn't Abraham just go ahead and make the first decision? Why wasn't Abraham really concerned about whether he goes to the left hand or to the right hand? Why wasn't Abraham all wrought up about that decision for himself? Well, that's because Abraham was totally trusting the Lord. That's verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward. For all the land that you see, I'm going to give to you and to your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring could also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Abraham's core conviction was, I'm going to serve God. And in doing that, God's going to take care of me. I'm putting the Lord first. Young people, is that your core conviction? Is that what the main driving force is for you when you make your decisions? Or 
Or are you like Lot? Where you see the things of this world, you then value those things of this world, and that then causes you to act upon those carnal impulses. That is what Lot does. Look at verse 11 again. Lot actually takes action. Verse 11, so Lot chose for himself those lands. Verse 12, and Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. This is the progression, is it not? We look, we value, and then we act. Do you remember the things that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6? Would you hold your place in Genesis once again? In Matthew the 6th chapter, I'm reading here in verse 19. And I want you, as we're reading these verses, think about these verses with, with the backdrop of Lot firmly in your mind. In Matthew chapter 6, look in verse 19. See if this doesn't sound like Lot's story. In Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We kind of then kind of stop right there and we kind of assume that verse 22 is talking about a completely separate thing. But look at verse 22. Again, think about Lot. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, mammon and possessions. Is this not Lot's story to a T? Lot's eye was bad. It was unhealthy. What he saw, it filled him with darkness. He valued those earthly treasures even more so than the heavenly treasures. And as a result, he chose to serve money and possessions and things even above the Lord. Young people, when you fill your eyes with the wrong thing, then that, of course, then leads to filling your mind with the wrong thing, which consequently leads up to you doing the wrong thing. What Lot needed to do, as you turn back to the book of Genesis, Lot really needed to repent. That's what Lot needed to do. Lot needed to go back to his uncle Abraham and say, Uncle Abraham, I chose poorly. I made a terrible decision here. I have done something awful here. Help me to get out of this mess. Help me to do what's right. But he didn't. And the Bible actually shows us the result of Lot's bad, disastrous decision. And that's Genesis the 19th chapter where the story picks back up. Look at Genesis chapter 19. Because there we see the disastrous effects of Lot's choice. And I'm going to go ahead and brace you ahead of time if you've never read this chapter before. This is not enjoyable reading. In fact, in a lot of ways, this isn't G-rated material here. But I'm reading beginning in Genesis 19 verse 1. Then two angels, two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Stop right there. The last time we saw Lot at the end of chapter 13, he had pitched his tent toward Sodom. Where is he now? He is now in the gate of the city. 
You need to know that in Old Testament times, city business was transacted at the city gate. It is the most important part of the city. It is where all of the important people would go. It's where business deals and those sorts of things would take place. It is the place where leaders would go and confer. It's the place where prominent people would go and see and be seen. It is the place where everybody is at. And Lot is there. He is deeply enmeshed in the life of the wickedest city on the face of the planet. Verse 2 now. Lot says to those angels, he says, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They then said to him, No, we're good. We're just going to stay out here the night in the city square. Lot pressed upon them, verse 3, more strongly, so that they turned aside to him and they did enter into his house. He made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. Lot knows what Sodom is like. Lot knows what the people of Sodom are like and he knows it is dangerous for these visitors, these angels, these men to be staying outside overnight. He wants to bring them into his house. And with good reason. Verse 4, But before they laid down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people of the last man, they surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are those men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. And so here's Lot. He decides to live in the middle of this wicked city and what that means is, is that means he's going to end up being harassed. Because when you surround yourself with a bunch of wicked people, those wicked people are going to give you grief about your faith. They're going to give you grief about what you stand for. We see some of that down in verse 9. They said to him, stand back. That's the angel said, stand back. But then the men outside, they said, this fellow, Lot, he came to sojourn. And now he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and they drew near to break the door down. This is what happens when your choices lead you to be deeper and deeper in the world. Worldly people will never understand people of faith. They don't. They they, they just don't get it. They don't want to get it. Peter says in 1 Peter the 4th chapter that they are surprised when we tell them that we're not going to run with them and be involved in their debauchery. And so as a result, they will malign us, revile us. 1 Peter 4 verse 4. And young people, we need to think about that. There's going to be times, I understand, there's going to be times where you're going to have to be in the world. That's just part of being a human being. We do. We have to go to work. We have to go to school. We have to be in our community. We have to go to the store. We're going to be in the world. I get that. But as we're doing that, we're trying not to be of this world. But here's my question. Why do we voluntarily choose to be in places and to be with people who will harass us about our faith? People who will tempt us and press us very hard. Why do we choose to be around people who are consciously, deliberately trying to pull us down to their level? Why would we knowingly choose to remain in those environments? Can I say right here to parents? Parents, sometimes we're to blame for that. Sometimes we insert our kids into places and into activities and into situations where their faith is not respected by the people around them. 
We get them involved in certain athletic pursuits. We maybe get them involved in certain academic pursuits. We maybe even get them pushed into certain part-time jobs. And as a result, they are just inundated on every side by ungodliness. And so our children are being pushed, they are being pressed to conform to this world. What are we thinking? Why do we do that? Look at what Lot got for being in this environment. He got pressed to be involved in the wickedness himself. I know this because of the verses that I just skipped over. Look in verse 6. Lot went out to those men at the entrance and shut the door after him. And he said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you. And you can do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. What in the world? What on earth is Lot doing? Lot has lost all moral sense. You know, there have been lots of attempts by Bible scholars and even preachers to try and somehow explain away what Lot is doing here. Trying to put some kind of a good and positive spin on what he's doing here. But I'm going to tell you, I've heard all of those arguments, I've heard all those explanations, and they all fall flat. What we're looking at here is vile, it is reprehensible, and there is no excuse for it whatsoever. And what it shows us is it shows us that when you make bad decisions and you end up in the wrong place, then after a while what happens is, is you get so desensitized to the evil that is around you that you yourself can end up doing something that is so obviously wicked, but, but well, it doesn't seem that bad. You know, compared to others, it's not nearly as bad. And so, young people, we say things to try to justify ourselves. We say things like, well, well, I wasn't as drunk as everybody else at the party. Or we say things like, well, I know we probably shouldn't be shacking up and living together, but, but we really are in love. How do such words, how do such thoughts come out of the mouths and the minds of Christians? I'll tell you how. It's when we make a bad decision that then places us around the wrong people and now the wrong that is once all around us, it's now starting to get into us. Our moral sensitivities have grown dull. Read further in the text, verse 10. Verse 10, But the angels reached out their hands and they brought Lot into the house with them and they shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Boy, I tell you what, when people are struck blind and they still don't stop trying to sin, that's how you know this is bad. This is really bad. Verse 12, Then the angels said to Lot, Have you anybody else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone that you have in the city, you need to bring them out of this place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And so Lot went out, and he said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up! Get out of this place! For the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his son-in-laws to be jesting. Do you see that there, the end of verse 14? This bad decision that Lot made in coming to Sodom, 
It led him to losing his influence, even with his own family. You know, this terrible series of events, it at least seems to finally have jarred Lot into action. And so now he has a chance to help save not only himself, but to save his family. But they won't listen. Young people, if angels came down from heaven and they told you, hey, we're about to destroy this place. We're about to bring fire and brimstone down upon the entire Lake Cumberland region. Pulaski County and Wayne County and Russell County. The whole big thing. We're fixing to just nuke the whole thing because of the wickedness in this land. Now I'm telling you this so that you can get prepared and you can help others to get prepared. If you then go to your friends and you then try to warn them about that and say, hey, God's fixing to bring down judgment on this place. God's about to destroy this place. we got to get out of here. We need to run. Would your friends listen to you? Would they take you seriously? Would you have any cachet with them? Would you have any influence over them at all? Maybe a much more likely scenario for us today would be if you went to your friends and you simply said, one of these days, Jesus is going to return. And when He returns, this world is going to come to an end and the saved are going to be taken to heaven and the unsaved are going to be sent to hell and we need to get ready for that day. Would your friends listen to you? Or would they, in the words of verse 14, would you seem to them like you are jesting? How are you living your life? How are you living right now so as to have that kind of positive influence on your friends and your family members and even the people that maybe you haven't even met yet, the relationships that you will form and forge in this life? I have known Christians, in fact I've known too many Christians, who made some bad choices early in their life. Made bad choices when they were teenagers or made bad choices in their 20s or their 30s, maybe even after they got married and had kids, they were still living in in, in sinful situations. But later on, they came to the realization of their sin, they repented, they returned to the Lord. But now the children are all grown, and the children are out of the home. And so they go to their children, and they beg of their kids to take seriously the Word of God. They beg and plead with their children to think seriously about their soul. They beg and plead with their children. They shed tears for their children, trying to get them to think about where they will spend eternity and their children. Their children, they seem to them as if they are jesting. Do you see what happens? When you see like the world, when you value like the world, when you act like the world, then the world doesn't think that you know very much about spiritual things you will have lost your influence. Which then leads to verse 15. Verse 15, as morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up! Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of this city. Verse 16, But Lot lingered. He lingered. So the man had to seize him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, and the Lord, being merciful to him, brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. Lot, buddy, 
What is the problem? Lot is so weakened at this point by his bad decisions that he's actually at a place where he is too paralyzed to do what's right. It's bad enough that he can't get his family to do what's right, but now even Lot himself can't seem to get with the program. He very much is dazed and confused. And I'm submitting to you this morning that there may be nothing worse than knowing the right thing to do and delaying in doing it. When you understand the will of God, when you know what it is that God wants you to do, when should you do that? Right now? Immediately? Right away? Without delay? And so when I'm reading Genesis the 19th chapter, I'm shouting at my Bible saying, Go, Lot! Get up! Run to the hills! Escape! Get out of there! The angel's telling you death and destruction are on its way. It's time to get up and go. But but he can't seem to do that. Angels have to actually forcibly grab him, drag him and his wife and his daughters, get them out of the city. Young people, I, I would say to you this morning that it is very easy for you, sitting here in church... It's very easy for you to serve the Lord and to do the right thing this morning as you sit with your family in the right place, doing the right things, surrounded by people who love you and care for you and try to help you to do what's right. But when you're out there and when you make crummy decisions and you end up in the middle of Sodom, even when you know what you ought to do, Not only will you find that you are incapable of influencing others to do the right thing, what you will find as well is that it is awfully hard for you to do the right thing yourself. In fact, in the verses that follow, verses 18 through 22, Lot actually complains. He actually whines to the angels, whines about the kindness that has been extended to him. He tries to compromise with the angels. Well, I don't really want to go to the hills. I want to go over here to this city. Let me go over here to this city. This will be a better place for me to go. And in the grace and the mercy of the Lord, he is allowed to take him and his family over to that city, to the city of Zoar, verse 23 says. Verse 24 now. Verse 24 then says, Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from out of heaven, And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and all that grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him, she looked back and she became a pillar of salt. The disobedience of Lot's wife really is just further evidence of Lot's weakened influence within his own family. Lot and his daughters, thankfully, they are able to escape. But they don't escape and remain in Zoar for very long. Verse 30 tells us, Now Lot went up out of Zoar, and he ended up living in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. Notice this. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. How the mighty have fallen because of one decision. Think about it. At the beginning of this story, Lot had more wealth had more goods than you could shake a stick at. He is so wealthy, his flocks and his herds, they can't even exist with Abraham's flocks and his herds. And now, he's hunkered down living in a cave. And it gets even worse. Verse 31, The firstborn daughter said to the younger daughter, Our father is old. 
And there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. So come, let us make our father drink wine and we will lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. And so they made their father drink wine that night. Verse 36, Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. These very same daughters who Lot had offered for sexual misuse with the men of Sodom, they have now turned the tables on their dad in a very, just very poor and sad twist of fate because they are now sexually abusing him. I I look at all of this and I ask, how, how did all this happen? How did the guy who was once traveling with the most godly person on the face of the earth, how did he end up like this? One bad decision that then led to another decision, that led to another decision, that led to another decision until finally he reached a place where his entire life has unraveled before his eyes. Can I ask you young people, Do you think that Lot knew that he was going to end up like this? You know, whenever Abraham came to him back in chapter 13 and said, Hey Lot, I need you to make a choice. You either go to the left hand or go to the right hand. Do you think Lot thought to himself, You know what? I'm going to go in this direction. And the final outcome of all of that is I'm going to lose everything. going to lose my possessions. going to lose my family. I'm going to end up in sin and degradation with my daughters living in a cave. Of course he didn't think that. And yet that's exactly what happened. He lost everything. One choice led to another choice led to another choice. It is the ripple effects of one bad decision. Young people, I'm certainly not trying to say this morning that if you make one wrong move this summer, if you make one mistake, oh... You're done. It's all over. Nothing you can do about that. Everything in your whole life is just going to be a mess and you're going to end up like Lot. That's not what I'm saying. There's always the opportunity for repentance. But you do need to know that the road to Sodom, it always begins with a single step, a single decision, a single choice. And every choice leads somewhere. And if the story of Lot teaches us anything this morning, it's that you better choose wisely. Now as we get ready to extend the invitation of Jesus Christ, let me remind you that for every opportunity to take a step in the wrong direction, there is also the opportunity to take a step in the right direction. And we're going to sing this song here in just a moment to encourage you to make the very best step, the very best decision that you could ever make in this life, and that is to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our God, much like in the days of Sodom, He's been long-suffering. God was probably way more long-suffering with Sodom than I would have been. But God is long-suffering with us even to this day. He has spared you, He has spared this world down to this present moment so that you would respond to His gracious and loving invitation by trusting in His Son, by confessing Him with your mouth, and then by being united with Him in His death, burial, and resurrection in the waters of baptism so that your sins can be forgiven 
And you can then be added to the family of God. Can we help somebody this morning who is ready to take that all-important step? If you are a Christian, but maybe you've made some choices, some decisions in your life that have led you further away from God than you ever intended to go, Brother or sister, you need to know that the Lord is being patient with you. And you need to thank the Lord that He's been patient with you. And then what you need to do is you need to humble yourself before Him and you need to repent and you need to pray and seek His forgiveness. If we can help anybody this morning, not only to avoid the disaster that bad decisions can bring, but to help somebody this morning to make the greatest decision of all, decisions that will lead us closer and closer to our eternal home in heaven, And we stand ready to assist you in doing just that. Would you come to the front and make that known? Do that while we stand and while we sing.